Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, everyone? And you are listening to another episode of Half Street High Heat presented by Manscaped. You're joined by myself and Amanda today. Nick is at the Nationals game. Don't know who we think he is prioritizing going to a Nationals game instead of talking about Nationals. (laughs) Weird. So he's out both these episodes this week. Make sure you guys give us a follow on Twitter at Half ST High Heat. And you guys can go on over to the website, the same domain, Half sthighheat.com and you can check out all of our latest articles merchandise and keep up with all of our latest news amanda how you doing doing well um excited to see the nats playing a little better it's amazing what not playing against the nl west does for you isn't it so the games have been a little more enjoyable (laughs) it's amazing what playing the marlins does for you i saw a stat that the nats (laughs) are like 30 and nine against the Marlins at home since I think it was 2019 or 2018. Either way. I like that. Let's play them more. Love it. It It's so much more fun playing. And the the Orioles next. So, well, you know, I don't know. Things always happen to Baltimore. I feel like, but still, I mean, on paper, that's a good one. Yes, it is. It is a good one. So yeah, it's been a good week. Busy. How about you? Um, it's only been two days. I, I, feel true. Like, I feel like this week has gone on by two years. It's such, it's such a slow week and it's dragging on. But a little interesting thing is we're a couple weeks into the whole sticky stuff crackdown. And the big question right now is, do you think the sticky stuff crackdown has solved MLB's offense program problem or do they still need to do more? This is interesting because we talked earlier, I don't remember a couple months ago on an episode about, you know, the potential of, of moving the mound back or, or moving it, you know, making it a little lower or what other things they could do to try to fix the dominant pitching versus anemic offense situation. And I almost, I don't know, I guess we'll find out in a second when you tell us what you think, but it seems to me that the sticky stuff crackdown has completely changed that dynamic. I mean, they're still unbelievably dominant pitching, 
but it's not like every single person in the league is throwing incredibly dominant pitching. There's been a ton more offense. And I know a lot of people will argue that it, maybe it's a more of a coincidence. Maybe it's because the weather's warmer, you know, people always hit a little more in the summer and that's all true. But to me, it seems obvious that the, the sticky stuff crackdown has lowered the RPMs on these pitches immensely. And that seems to have led to a lot more, a lot more hitting and a lot more, not just ground balls and strikeouts. I mean, not just home runs and strikeouts, but a lot more, you know, singles and doubles and that kind of hitting, which makes the game a lot more interesting. Yeah, and we are a month into this crackdown, so we have a lot more data on this. And it's pretty interesting because when you're looking at it, there's basically no increase in hit-by-pitches per game. That's almost the same, which was one of the biggest concerns people had was that more guys are going to be hit. That's staying just about exactly the same right now. Um, And then you also look up walks are up. Mm-hmm. which is very unusual for July walks usually usually drop around this time of year. Um, but we are currently seeing a increase in walks, but the biggest thing right now is, as you talked about is offense is up since the crackdown teams are hitting 248. That's up almost 10 points um, on base percentage is up to 325. That's up 12 points. Slugging is up to 417. That's up 17 points. The K rate wow. is down to 22.9, just over 1%. And the walk rate is up 0.3%. So we are seeing more offense. Um, as you guys may have noticed, like the Nats lost 24 days and then they dropped 20 like the next game. I think the balls are juiced, but there's like no real evidence of that. But offense is definitely up and we're seeing some pretty good positive associations ever since the crackdown. Yeah. And you know, the other one is that there were six no hitters before June 3rd and there has been one since then. Yeah. Kind of says a lot. (laughs) Yeah. It kind of says a lot, right? I mean, everybody was talking earlier in the year, like what the hell's going on? Why are there so many no hitters this year? And then all of a sudden one since then. So again, a lot of this stuff is, you know, you can't prove that correlation is causation, but it seems pretty obvious that there's been a massive increase in offense. And like you said, those numbers don't sound massive, but they really are over spread over the whole league game by game by game. You're seeing, even if you have a few more hits there, a few more, you know, a few more hits here, a few more walks there, it's a lot. So yeah, I would say yes, that they've solved that offense problem enough that I don't think they need to do anything else at this point, except wait to see how this all plays out. I agree. And as I said, it's been a long week. There's not really much happening in baseball right now. As we look at our mid week review, things are pretty much quiet on the Eastern front, but the Oakland A's are having negotiations with the Oakland government to stay in town. But so far the A's have balked at that. They have been having ongoing conversations with Vegas about potential moving. Seems like Oakland A's do not want to stay in Oakland. Your man Mercedes announces on his Instagram that he is retiring from baseball. The White Sox April and May phenom has been sent down to the minors after a relative recently incident with Tony Larusa. 
He is now retiring. MLB has its first all-woman broadcast crew in MLB history to call a game. That was on YouTube over a couple days ago. The Rays are interested in Nelson Cruz. The Dodgers make a trade acquiring Billy McKinney from the Mets. He will be an all-star in no less than three seasons. Speaking of the Dodgers, Cody Bellinger continues to struggle. He's hitting just 140 against the fastball this year. Cardinals closer Alex Reyes breaks the record for most consecutive saves to start a career with 24. To the NL East, in fifth are the 40 and, as right now, 55 Marlins, who lost the first two against the Nats. They are currently tied in the ninth inning right now. Up next are the Padres. Uh, I just got an ESPN notification. I'd like to look to see if the Nats walks off. They did. In fourth place are currently the 45 and 49 Nash, uh, Nationals. We'll talk about them in a second. In third are the 46 and 48 Braves. They split the first two against the Padres. And the last game has been in quite a long rain delay. Up next for them is the Phillies. Braves are said to still be aggressive at the deadline as of today, July 21st. In second are the 47 and 46 Phillies. They split the first two against Yankees. They were reportedly cleared to go above the luxury tax threshold if the fit is right that is music to dave dombrowski's ears because all he does is go over the luxury tax threshold in first place are the 50 and 43 mets they took two or three from the reds in a wild series that showed all of the mets massive flaws good thing for the mets though marcus sherman came out pitch a eight inning shutout a wonderful pitch for them up next are the blue jays um, the Mets are currently examining the pitcher market and are looking for a top-end rotation guy. This has been your week in review. Make sure you head on over to T Public and check out all of Hash Street High Heat's latest swag and merchandise. This has been your week in review. Yeah, that is good advice. Get over to the T Public site. Lots of good stuff there. Um, so Jacob Degrom on the IL again. That's a thing for the Mets that, you know, you, I keep it so many stories this season for the Mets where I'm like, well, that should do it for them. They're going to fall off now. And then they just keep not falling off. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really annoying. It's, it's so annoying because the entire division is literally like the Mets are so flawed. They're not going to keep doing this. And that's why all these teams are saying they're going to buy and the Mets keep winning freaking series. It, it, it makes no sense. <laughs> it makes no sense. It's so annoying. They could just <laughs> please play as bad badly as they are. It doesn't make any sense, but you know what I mean? Like, Well, yeah, I mean, start losing because the Nats have won two games. Um, it's bottom of the night thing. They're looking to sweep. One Three the, games. They won that last one against the Pops. Oh, that's that's right. That's right. They, they did. Excuse me. Excuse me. Um. Uh, one of the one of the biggest surprises of the series so far is John Lester went seven innings. He went seven shutout innings. Um, absolutely fantastic what that does for his confidence going forward. I mean, we've yeah. talked about how maybe that was John Lester's last start. Everyone's talking about you need to go away from him. And you know what? Sometimes all you need to, to do to get things right is bullying beat up on works. The t- is, right. It's the- bullying <laughs> works. Exactly. You just need to beat up on someone that's a lot worse than you. And that was the Marlins. And he had his best start in three years. Yeah. That's good stuff. Definitely good stuff. I'm sitting here watching. I don't have the TV in here. So I'm watching the game day to see if the Nats are going to walk this off. Gerardo Parra to it in the bottom of the ninth. Gerardo Parra is up right now. Oh, he didn't walk it off. Nick is not leaving the podcast. Nick said he was going to leave the podcast if he saw a Gerardo Parra walk off in person. Um, he was going to leave the pot. Well, woof, we dodged a bullet on that. <laughs> <laughs>
But he also said he was going to do something crazy to get on TV so that we could react to it live on the podcast. And so far, I haven't seen anything. So yeah, come on, Nick, get together. We we know you're listening to this live. (laughs) Somehow. (laughs) But another surprise for the Nats has been Paolo Espino this year. He went five fantastic innings. Davey said that he was not going to be limited after going 2.1 innings. He, he was limited. <laughs> he he went five innings of relatively stressful ball, and I think he only threw like 65 pitches. But again, proving to be really, really vital time and time again mm-hmm. with all the injuries and rotations. Like, where would this team be without Espino this year? I mean, it sounds crazy to say, but how many starts, how many good starts has he had for us? How many you know, how many times Literally. does he come in and made a spot start or, you know, a couple of innings here or long relief when one of the, you know, regular starters could go deep in a game. I mean, he's been a really crucial piece for this team as unlikely a story as that is. Yeah. I mean, next man up mentality. Uh, Espino's done a absolute fantastic job at that. I've said before, you really can't put into words how valuable that has been for him. Teams need those guys who just come up do their job and do it well. That's kind of what helps separate you and helps you stay alive in all of the injuries that happen in baseball. And it's been absolutely massive. Like what, what would you done it before the year? I told you that, Oh, uh, you know, Alcides Escobar almost broke his hand. That would have been terrible news. And Palo Espino has been one of the most valuable pitchers for his team. What, what would you have said? I would have said we had a fire sale and we're in a full rebuild. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the roster looks like it's been in a full rebuild. We are. It does. It does. A couple sometimes the list comes out, and I'm like, I'm sorry, who now? And I follow this team more closely than a lot of people. I feel like every now and again, I'm like, wait, what are we doing? Wait, what's happening right now? Yeah, it's it's been pretty rough. However, I will say, in the same way that we talk about the Mets not, you know, falling off a cliff despite everything that's happened to them, credit where it's due. The Nats have, while they're not catching the Mets right now have done a good job of not cratering despite, you know, a horrible rash of injuries and, you know, being without a whole lot of the roster they expected to be using this year. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to give a lot of credit to a team that's five, five games under 500 been under 500 for most of the year, but I do agree because it could be a lot worse. It could, it could be a lot worse. And, you know, given the, the amount of injuries they've had and all the setbacks, if it were a lot worse, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I'm actually surprised when, you know, five games back, like you said, you don't want to, you know, give too much credit to a team that can't get over 500 and can't catch the Mets who haven't been that good. But it, I give a, a lot of credit that they haven't completely basically thrown in the towel on the season, even though, and maybe they're going to, maybe it's going to get to the trade deadline and they're going to sell. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that a little more in a bit, but you know, at this point they're still out there fighting and they're still given the roster they're putting on the field. I'm actually sort of impressed that they are only five games under 500. Yeah. Shout out to the Mets for all their issues for keeping that possible. Yes. Thank you, Mets for keeping (laughs) our dim hopes alive. Appreciate that. (laughs) another pretty big surprise this year has been eric fetty um i saw a pretty interesting stat about him he went six innings against the marlins today really really needed it because in three starts 
in the month of June before he went on the IL. Fedy was 1-0. He had a 2.81 ERA. He had 14 Ks, seven walks, which is unfortunate, 16 innings, and a 2.14 um, on base against, which is, mm. sorry, uh, upon the batting average, excuse me. Returning from that in July, he's been 0-3 with a 12.66 ERA, 10 Ks, eight walks, only 10 innings pitch, and opponents are batting 388 against him. He had been getting rocked. And yeah, for him to come like out, that. oh, I mean, it's he's been contributing to the very big issue that in this month that has been starting pitching. But for him to come out and do six great innings again, giving up one run, huge bounce back for him. I do love playing the Marlins. It's honestly, isn't it great? Like <laughs> everything right now is, oh, yeah, everything, everything bounced back. <laughs> yeah. You know how, like, you know how they tell you, like, if you go through a bad breakup, you just need to like go out and, you know, like get your confidence back, meet somebody new. Like that's the Marlins. Like when you need your confidence back, you need to, you need a series against the Marlins. Just fix you, you up. You need a series against on the your Marlins. Way. Literally. <laughs> literally. Um, but I mean, they've done this before where they played and just manhandled the Marlins, but then nothing came of it. Right. Hopefully this is a time where something comes of it. Excuse me. And if and they, Nick were here, he would tell us, yeah, but look what just happened when they played good teams that are going to the playoffs. I've, and he's, I, he would be right. <laughs> I, I've wanted to, I wanted to say that when you said, you know, God, give him credit. I was like, they just got steamrolled by three playoff teams for, for They did, but given weeks. the roster they are putting out there, of course they did. Do you know what I mean? Of course they did. Yeah. They, they were not putting out a, a roster that had a hope of competing with, with the Dodgers and the Padres and the Giants. But, you know, they're still, they're still keeping themselves within striking distance. And that's not nothing. That's my, that's all my point. Is. Yeah, I agree. They're getting a lot of really good production right now from guys you wouldn't expect. And the latest one is Trace Barrera this season. Um, he's come up with Avila and Gomes hurt. He's slat hitting 333, 379, 593. He's wow. a 167 OPS plus. Granted, that isn't only 30 plate appearances, but still, I mean, talk about making the absolute most of your, your opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the idea that he would be a regular starter for this team this year, given the guys that were in front of him, was so unlikely. And for him to take that opportunity and you know obviously you're going to come back down to earth a little bit as the number of plate appearances increases but he's been he's been great I mean when you know when Avila got hurt and Gomes got hurt I was kind of like who are who are we even going to have I thought they were going to trade for a catcher or do something but you know they (laughs) we 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 complain a lot about organizational depth (laughs) there's a little bit they signed a catcher and he was absolutely terrible. Yeah. Um, I should say I'm forget I'm I'm pretending that didn't happen. <laughs> I reject your reality and substitute my own. Absolutely no disrespect to uh, Renee Rivera, but I mean that, that didn't work out. But no, I it mean, didn't work out as a nice euphemism for that situation. It's we're just gonna talk about it. Never, never happened. <laughs> that never happened. <laughs> he's putting he's putting a, you know pressure on the Nats, especially at Vila, where they kind of have to ask, should they keep up Trace over Alex Avila? I was thinking the same thing. And I am leaning toward, I mean, I guess it depends on can Barrera keep up this pace or not, probably not this pace, but can he keep being a really, you know, good contributor to the offense? Because defensively, I don't know that he brings you more than, than Avila, but if, if he can be, you know, better with the bat, then that seems like a no brainer to me. 
question is going to be, what do they think it will do to his his future and his development? If the Nats think he can still develop and be okay while being up on the roster, he will stay. If they rather him play every single day because he's not going to play every single day when Jan Gomes is back, um, he will go back down AAA. That's going to be it. But, like, Aldevilla isn't really that good. Um, his whole appeal was basically just that he caught most of his pitching staff at one point. Right. That's and what like, I mean. And that's that's good thing. He play, he calls a decent game. I'm not complaining about his you know, his defense, it's just, to me, it's not irreplaceable. And if you've got a guy who can provide you more offense than, and, and is serviceable defensively, then, you know, and as Barreras is proving to be, if that's, if that continues when Avila comes back, I just don't know why you would send Barrera down unless, as you said, it's, it's a development thing and they want to give him more regular playing time. Obviously he's not going to play over Gomes when Gomes is, comes back from his yeah. injury. Okay. Speaking of regular play time, um, what's happening with Victor Robles? Because he has sat yeah. two of the three games after for the first game of the series, Davies said they wanted to, you know, have the same lineup because the Marlins are doing a bullpen game. He played and now he's back on the bench again, and we haven't really heard anything. He left the game randomly and looked like dehydration, but like is Victor Robles in a platoon situation or are they trying to make sure he doesn't get hurt before they traded with the Cubs for Chris Bryant? I don't know. I don't, it just like, it doesn't really make sense. And when, when Davey was asked about it, he kind of dodged the question. Yeah. He was squirrely. And that's what makes me think there's something more to this. Like either they're planning on platooning him or even having Stevenson be the regular guy and having Robles be on the bench. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting. It's it was it was very interesting because I feel like David has been uh, Davy has been pretty open and candy this year. That time he dodged question, which made me think, oh, mm-hmm. why are, are my they, antenna went up immediately. Like I was oh. like, <laughs> <laughs> are they potentially moving on? Like, are they finally realizing he's probably just a fourth outfielder? It also kind of shows a potential fall from grace where they're thinking Andrew Stevenson, which no disrespect to Andrew Stevenson. He's a fine player. He's not good. He's an average player where they're thinking of platooning with Andrew Stevenson. Yeah. And I have to say, Andrew Stevenson is a fine player. He's the kind of guy you need on your roster. You need guys like that who aren't world beaters, but are good, you know, solid major leaguers. But it, as you pointed out, Robles, who was, you know, the top, prospect in our farm system for a long time and was touted as a five tool player to be is he better than andrew stevenson i don't really know like that is a fall from grace for sure yeah i mean i'm so glad nick's not here to talk about how he said i said (laughs) the very first episode but we'll say it for you nick we know i mean that was a good call though (laughs) (laughs) yep and it caused us to get to meet monty which was also very fortuitous Exactly. And Monty <laughs> respected the hell out of me because I called him an old sport when he was mad. <laughs> Love it. Love it. That's such a boy thing. We get in a fight and then we like each other better. Such a boy thing. So you mentioned potentially something more in Chris Bryant. Uh, Mike Rizzo did an interview with the Nationals beat reporters, which is something he has not done a whole lot of this season. But he did an interview, and when he was asked about the trade deadline, 
he basically, well, not basically, he did say the Nats are not decided right now. He said right now they're going in with a dual approach. They have plans for trading. They have plans for selling. And what they do in these stretch between now and the deadline will determine which plan they go with. Mm-hmm. Um, on the junkies, Rizzo said that the dual strategy is not a good one. He said they tried it in 2018, and we all know how that went. So, yeah, I mean, this is, again, the second latest of comments we're selling is on the table. Obviously, they come out, and they're in X-Rings right now, but they, at the worst, took two three from the Marlins. That's a good start for a team if they want to buy. Yeah, I feel like you need to – they've got six against the Marlins and the Orioles. You need – I feel like you need five of those six. Like, you've got to stack up those wins against these bad teams if you're going to have any hope of Great. being a legit buyer. So it's interesting though. And we've talked a lot about, will they be buyers or will they be sellers? It's all we've been talking about for like the last month, but it is interesting to hear Rizzo, you know, publicly say more than once that selling is on the table. And uh, you know, these games are important. They don't seem like the biggest stretch of the season, but this is going to determine the the outcome of this season. And uh, if they, if they can, pull it together where they're within, I'd say five or, you know, we're five back now. If they're with is it five back or six back? How far back? They're five and a half back. If they win, they're five back. They lose their six back. Yeah. So if I think if they are any more back than they are right now, come trade deadline day, I think they're going to, they're not going to buy. And I still don't think when Rizzo says sell, I still don't think it's going to be that dramatic, but maybe we're wrong. Maybe it'll be, I I don't think it's going to be max, but if it were hand or Hudson or Harrison or, you know, any of those kinds of guys, I think, I think you could see those sort of, you know, really solid pieces going to teams that are contending, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. It's interesting though, to hear him say that they're doing both. I do worry that if they are going to wait right up until the deadline to decide if they're buyers (laughs) or sellers, like some guys are going to have already been bought and some guys are going to have, you know, some teams that might've wanted hand or Hudson might've already gotten somebody else. So Waiting till right up at the end really does have its risks. You may wait yourself out of some of the best options. It does, but pitching is always attractive. And one of those options is Chris Bryant. The Nats have been connected to him before. His agent is Scott Boris. So there's automatically a connection. There has been rumors. Um, John Hammond only. Passon has said something. Uh, Jim Bowden has said something. A lot of people have said something. A lot of smoke. There is a lot of smoke. I don't know how much is there for it, but there are. there's something going there where the Nats have probably called me to look. I don't know if they sent scouts, but does Chris Bryant make sense for this team if they buy? I really, it sounds like kind of punting on the question, but I really think it depends on whether they're going to be able to sign him to a longer term deal as a rental. No, I don't think so. Because as we've talked about before, I don't think even if this team makes a run and, and wins this division, which is a long shot at this point, they're, you know, not that close to the Mets right now, but there's a lot of baseball to play, but let's say they win to the division. Does anybody think they're making a deep playoff run this year? I can't see it. So if you're just getting Chris Bryan as a rental, that doesn't make any sense to me, no matter what. The scenario is now if you can sign him to an extra two or three or four years after now you got my attention i would say that could make sense yeah 
Obviously, if you get that extension, it makes it better, especially if you're going to give up anything of value for Chris Bryant, um, because you're going to have to ask yourself, all right, we can. They don't have much of value. (laughs) Well, that's that's the thing. Like, I I want Chris Bryant. Like, I I am all in on. I think the Nats should sell. I understand the logic behind buying. It makes sense. Like, what does make sense logistically because the farm system, but it makes sense because how open this division is. I'm torn on Chris Bryant. Like I would like him because it's Chris Bryant. I think he's a very good player, but where this team is headed right now and what they have in the farm system, giving up anything of value for him just doesn't make sense. Like this team's top five prospects need to be untouchable. Like maybe even top 10, but unfortunately, you know, the Nat six through 10 in this farm system is probably on like not even top 30 and not some other teams farm systems. Yeah. Nobody wants them. So there's not gonna be hard to protect them. That's the- exactly. Like if you want Chris Bryant, you could talk to him in the off season, get him an extension. I don't see the value in giving up something, a good prospect for him. Now, if we're talking next week, you know, and like, Hey, the Nats got Chris Bryant and they didn't give up any of their good prospects. And they didn't give up Carter Keebum or Luis Garcia. That's a whole different conversation. But then but, what do they get him for? Like, if it's not keep him, is it major league pieces? Well, it is it would, Robles or it, Harrison or somebody like that? It like, would have to probably be like Victor Robles, which again, well, actually, he would probably play center field because he said he wants to play center field long term. But like, I don't know. I'm, I am so, so. If torn. we could get Chris Bryant for Victor Robles, that is a done deal. I will pack his bags myself. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I am just really, really torn on this one. Yeah. Like I, it's hard to say you don't want Chris Bryant because that's crazy talk, but you also have to think, I think you're right. Giving up a top prospect when we don't have very many good prospects is a tough pill to swallow. Now, if you could guarantee, like if you could do a trade and sign where it was already agreed upon that they're getting a good piece from us. Oh, for sure. That changes getting, the entire conversation. Yeah. If that's something like that, I would be like, okay, then, you know, give him something of value because we know we're getting value in return, but on a rental, <laughs> I don't want to give up much of anything on a rental and you're not going to get Chris, Chris Bryant is good enough, even though he's in a bit of a slump right now he had a really hot start to the season and he's definitely cooled off a bit, but he's still Chris Bryant and you're not going to get him even for half jersey. a season. Yeah. You, yeah so would <laughs> I, if we get him, I will buy his jersey, but if we're not getting him even for half a season for nothing, do you know what I mean? You're going to have to give up something and we just don't have a lot except we don't have a lot of prospects and the ones that are good, we don't want to give up. So that really only leaves major league pieces and money. And I just, I guess I just don't see why the Cubs would do that when there's going to be other teams that have much richer prospect packages. They're probably willing to offer. Exactly. And that's the whole second half of that conversation is other teams have better farm systems. That will be more enticing. So it'll be, it's, it's going to be no trade? really interesting. Um, no, I do not think he has a no trade. Because I'm curious if he has cities he can like only certain places he's willing to go that would that would change it too. But I don't know that the I don't know the details of his contract situation. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think he does. Um, yeah. So I mean, it's this is my favorite time of year. We're right now in that that dead period. Where we're not mm-hmm. really hearing anything because teams are just sending their scouts all over. And like whenever a prospect is pulled from a game, everyone's like, "Oh my god, here we go! A trade's happening." And oh, yeah, like, yeah, they pulled they pulled Robles out of a game, and we're like, oh, <laughs> what's going on? Our key well, boom got pulled out of a game. <laughs> the Red Sox pulled three prospects, uh, two in AAA, one in AA, at the same exact time, and so we haven't heard anything else. But all the Red Sox Twitter is like, holy crap, we're made a trade. 
Yeah, I do love this time of year. It is like Christmas, like the anticipation. It's so much fun. And just this conversation, like, does it make sense? Does this guy, what could they get for him? Like, I, I can't get enough of trade rumors talk. It's the oh, I love it. Um, I love it so much. <laughs> I mean, something else I can't get enough of is beating up on bad teams. The Nats schedule continues and they will head to Baltimore up 95 and doesn't really get much worse than this. Orioles are 31 and 64. Their starting Oof. pitching is dead last in ERA, dead last in whip, dead last in hits per nine, dead last in home runs per nine, 25th in K per nine, 26 uh, walks per nine. The relief pitchers are not much better either. Hitting, not great. 18th in average, 25th on base, 24th in OPS, 23rd in runs, 24th in home runs, 25th in stolen bases. The funniest part about their offensive struggles is they're in a very, very hitter-friendly park. And that is the best part of it. Um, I believe the Nats released their projected starters. Corbin's going Friday. Max is going Saturday and Lester is going Sunday. They'll be going up against Jorge Lopez, Spencer Watkins, and Matt Harvey, the Dark Knight, on Sunday. Has so to we're about to make Harvey look like a Cy Young contender again, huh? More than likely, yes. But like, <laughs> literally looking looking at this on paper, this has to be a sweep. Orioles it has to be. It has to be like this game. They're where are we now? Bottom ten, still tied they're, at one. Now they're losing three like, one. Oh, I don't have an updated. Damn it. Oh, yeah, there it is. There it is. Okay. Ah, they still took so, two or three. That's fine. Yeah. So they're probably going to take two or three from Miami because they're likely about to lose this. So they got to sweep the Orioles. I, I feel like you should always sweep the Orioles in their current situation. You just should always sweep them. But right now, when these games are so crucial, when you need a certain number of wins to, to, decide the rest of your season decide whether you're a buyer or seller decide whether this is the season where your team is making a run for it or where you're waving the white flag halfway through like you have to come out with urgency and you have to sweep the orioles i agree there's like there's not even that much else to say the orioles are not a good team you have you know max your guy on saturday should pitch well patrick corbin struggle could go either way you don't know what you're gonna really could and like John Lester just coming off the best start in three years. That's that's not an exaggeration, by the way. He's not gone seven innings in quite some time. You have to sweep. These are you have to sweep three big free agent acquisitions over the last seven years. I mean, big John Lester, two big, two big free agent acquisitions, one bad. And John Lester. And John Lester. <laughs> this has to be a sweep. I want to come in here next episode, talk about the Nats have won five of six. Or is it six of seven? I don't know. I can't do math. Whatever. Math is hard. Yes. But you, you know get the I, point. I do get the point. I do. And you know what else is hard? The summertime. It's hard on all of us. Fellas, listen, it's real talk time. It is summertime. It's hot. It's humid. It's sticky. And you guys smell. That's just the truth of it. Uh, you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Um, it's something nobody likes to talk about, but it's true. You guys get smelly. So Manscaped's got you covered, as they always do. They have all kinds of different products for keeping yourself smelling nice. They've got the Crop Preserver, which is your anti-chafing deodorant. They've got the Crop Reviver, which is the spray toner. They've got the Crop Cleanser, which is your body wash. 
Smells great. My husband uses it. Highly recommend. And the foot duster, which is their foot deodorant. So that should keep all the various and sundry parts of you smelling nice. So whether you are rocking a dad bod or a six pack, our friends at Manscaped have always got you covered. In addition to all the products they offer to keep you smelling fresh, they've also just launched their fourth generation performance package, which includes the Lawnmower 4.0. We have talked about that a lot. I'm sure you all already have it, but just in case, that performance package comes not only with the Lawnmower 4.0, which is the electric trimmer. You get the weed whacker for ear and nose hair. You get the crop preserver we just talked about, the crop reviver, and the magic mat, which is disposable shaving mat, so you're not leaving a mess all over your bathroom. And you get two free gifts with that, the shed travel bag and the Manscaped boxers, which are anti-chafing like everything else they offer. So you can trust Manscaped, the leaders in male grooming, to keep you looking, smelling, and feeling your best all summer long. Join the 2 million other men worldwide who trust Manscaped and go to manscaped.com. Use our code HSHH20 to get 20% off and free shipping. That's HSHH20 for 20% off and free shipping on everything they offer. Yes, head on over and it's game time. We're going to play a game. Ooh, I like games. What are we playing? I love games. Um, I think Nat's just lost. Well, there's two strikes. Never mind. Oh, I don't like um, that game. <laughs> we're yeah. going to play fair or foul. In case you guys have not heard it, I'm going to ask six questions. If Amanda agrees, she will say fair and a little uh, explanation saying why. If she disagrees, she will say foul and a little explanation. I will ask three questions about the Nationals and then three questions about rest of the NL East. You ready? Ready. All right, let me get my uh, my my game show voice on. <clears throat> Fear or foul? Andrew Stevenson has replaced Victor Robles. Hmm, this is tough. I'm gonna go fair on this because I think I think the Nats are gonna buy at the deadline, and I think Robles is gonna get traded. So I'm gonna go fair. Woo. All right, I'm going foul. I I don't think he's replaced them yet. I think we're approaching a potential platoon um moving on fair or foul steven james strasberg will not pitch again until 2022 oh this one's hard i'm gonna go foul because i can't accept this possibility <laughs> not because i actually think i'm right but because i'm manifesting it into the universe that steven strasberg will pitch again this season so i'm gonna go foul on that I'm going foul as well. He threw a bullpen session on Wednesday afternoon. Obviously, we're going to keep hearing how he feels in the next coming days. But I th I think we'll see him back. Hopefully, we'll see him for an extended period of time, not just a couple starts. But I uh, I think we'll see him. So Can you imagine watching Strasburg start like three times in a row? That whoa, 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 that's Let's not get crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little wild. It's getting a little wild over here. Let's let's take it one one start at a time with my guy. Um, <laughs> moving forward, fair or foul? Josh Harrison is the Nationals' sneakiest trade bait if they do sell. I'm gonna go fair on this. He's been really really good this season. He's the Howie Kendrick of this season. Was it you or Nick who said that? That was Nick. I think it was. Yeah. That's a really great analogy because Kendrick was one of those players where you're just like, Oh, that's a nice piece to have. But then he was like crucial. One of the most important guys on the team. And Harrison has been that, I mean, you know, Soto had a, a pretty shaky start to the season and is now, you know, been super hot. 
And of course there was a really nice hot streak from Schwarber and now he's injured, but Harrison has been steady Eddie, you know, he's been the guy you can count on to, to be providing you some offense this year. And I think there are a lot of teams if, if we end up being sellers at the deadline and the Nats are looking to, you know, to have a piece they can trade or, you know, I'm sorry, end up being buyers or sellers, really, whatever you need. Harrison's a guy a lot of teams are going to want. I, I agree. I'm going to say fair. Um, if Nats do Snell sell, they could get a decent B level prospect for him, honestly, um, which would be really fantastic. He's picked him up last year when he was DFA and he's been, really really valuable for you this year um he's just he's kind of a crucial part either if they buy or sell because mm-hmm. his versatility allows the Nats to explore third base and second base um or even look outfield if Kyle Schorber is going to be out for a lot longer so he's pretty crucial in whatever happens either way so yeah I I'm going fair and, you know, this is something we crush Rizzo for sometimes about not making trades or doing things. One of the things he is so good at is finding guys who he picks up off the trash heap and turn out to be really, really good for this team. Like he's done it so many times. Yeah. I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta find them, you know, diamonds in the rough and Rizzo, Rizzo does do a great job at that. I, I will always agree. do that one where you pick somebody, he picks somebody up and I'm like, what, wait, why? <laughs> Why that guy? And then a couple of months later, I'm like, oh, that's why. Good job. Oh, okay, that makes sense, you know. <laughs> All right. So I see what you did there. <laughs> moving forward, the rest of fair or foul will be about the NL East. Fair or foul, the Mets will land the biggest name of the trade deadline. I'll go fair on this. I bet they get Chris Bryant because we want him. <laughs> and I don't know, will, will Chris Bryant be the biggest name? I don't know who else a, is a big he'll be I, one of the biggest names i don't think well so i i agree i think the mets do because i think they end up trading for jose uh barrios mm, i think they get yeah. him which would be a very nice addition to that rotation so that's what i'm going to say that um but the mets are they're attached to a lot of names right now they sent their scouts to chicago for the weekend they have their scouts pretty much all over the midwest right now um and i think they're going to be aggressive and get the biggest name yeah i mean we keep talking about how hey we could make a play for this division they're probably i'm sure they're looking at it and going hey we still despite everything have the lead in this division we need to pull away <laughs> you know what i mean we need to yeah. do what we need to do to get people so yeah i think you're right they're likely to be oh, they're if, likely to be aggressive at the deadline if the mets acquire bryant and uh jose don't don't even bother the rest that's what of the, i'm saying the if the they division. do that it's like the next week they do that then forget it just sell. <laughs> You're like, all right, oh, whatever. We tried. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, moving forward, fair or foul, the Braves will be sellers at this deadline. Fair. They're, uh, you know, what is there to say? They are, everybody in this division is decimated by injury, but the Braves are just, it's terrible. I mean, it, you know, I, I loathe the Braves like every respectful, respectable Nats fan does, but it's been hard to watch. Like that's a team that's really, really good and, you, know, you respect an opponent who always is who's always good and always trying and always, there are so many teams in baseball that don't really try the, the Braves are not one of those teams and uh, it sucks to see what's happened to them but I think they have already acknowledged where they are and seen the writing on the wall and they will be selling yeah I mean 
the thing that the Braves need the most is a new season. Like it's, it's a lost year. And I think the Braves realize that. So I agree. They will be selling, which is pretty fun. And last on fair or foul, the Phillies will land Craig Kimbrell at the trade deadline. Fair. And this is why I don't think the Phillies are going to do anything this year. I don't think they're going to come back and win the division, but I think the number of blown lead, the blown saves on that, that they have had this year is so dreadful. Like, it's just, I can't even imagine being a fan of that team. It was like the, you know, the beginning of the beginning of the 2019 season where every time they start, they pulled the starter. I was like, Oh hell, I'm just going to turn this game off now. I don't want to watch what's about to happen. Like they must be feeling that way. And they have a really rabid fan base there that they, that's going to demand something even in a season that's lost really. And I don't think they've gotten mentally to a place where they're acknowledging that they're not going anywhere this year, but landing Kimbrel is, is red meat to that fan base. And it shows them that they're trying to address the bullpen problems that they have. I don't think it will make a big difference for them this year, but if they can get Kimbrel, is he on an expiring contract? What's his situation? I'm I'm not sure about that. Well, if they can, if they can get him and land him for a couple of years, I will hate it. Thank you. Hate it. I hate it. I <laughs> I'm going to say fair just because who their GM is. Um, he loves making big trades and he also traded for Kimber before. So there is the connection. So I am going to go with fair on that. And I agree. It feels sucks. They're not going to win more than 81 games, but that'll still be annoying to bring him back in the division. I would absolutely hate that. It will. And I would hate if they signed him for a longer term and were facing him for years. Yeah. Like, look, he was miserable to go up against when he was on land. I don't want to face him again. Yeah, please. No, thank you. Please. <laughs> All right. So this has been your pre-deadline edition of Fair or Foul. And we're going to keep updating everything as the deadline comes closer. Before we wrap up, we head to our final segment of the day. The one big thing. Amanda, do you have anything? Nick isn't here. You can go hockey again. I am going hockey. <laughs> Vitek Vanacek was selected by the Seattle Kraken. It is no longer a Washington Capitol. And I am a little verklempt. He I really was liked so average. I don't ever loved him so much. Yeah, here's why I loved him so much. Because he played perfectly adequate goalie for $700,000. This was a worst case scenario. The Kraken took him. We get no salary cap relief. We lose a good young goalie who has lots of upside potential for nothing. And we still are going to have to trade just to get rid of salary so that we can re-sign Alex Ovechkin and make all the other moves we need to make in the offseason. It's the worst case scenario that could have happened. So I'm pissed. And Brandon Dillon's on the team. Well, and that. But TVO, she's still <laughs> on the team. So Wusa, it'll be okay. But I am sad about <laughs> losing Vanacek. I, I, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't like the next Vesna winning goalie or anything, but what he was was a really good, cheap, young goalie. You could count on. He was very reliable and played extremely well when Samsonov was being a dipshit all season last year. So <laughs> Anyway, I there's agree. my hockey one big thing because he's not here <laughs> to yell at me. <laughs> um, my one big thing is I love the trade deadline. Things are going to start heating up here soon, and I am very, very excited for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's, I love it. I love it so much. The trade deadline's the best time of the year. It's the most wonderful time. It's not Christmas. Year. It's the trade deadline. Trade deadline. That's the facts. most wonderful time of the year. It is facts. Facts. All right. It. Um, 
thank you so much everyone for listening this has been another episode of half street high heat make sure you guys check our twitter account at half st high heat we have some good blogs coming out on schedule we're gonna be talking about both angles of the deadlines who Nats could be looking at and much much more make sure you guys follow the twitter account as well and make sure you guys subscribe to the podcast wherever you guys listen and check out the T Public website as well for all the newest and latest merchandise that we are always releasing. And we will talk to you guys next week. Have a good weekend. Later, donuts. Later. <laughs> There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the cause has passed the wall to see you later. Let's go, Nats. We've got a game to play. We're gonna win today. Let's go. By the early light of dawn, well, you can see they're running scared. Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air. Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look. Cause we're putting curly W's in every book. Let's go, Nats. We've got a game to play. We're gonna win today. Let's go. decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer mail checks invoices documents and everything you need to keep your business running get rates up to 89 percent off usps and ups and with the mobile app you can take care of mailing on the go make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with stamps.com sign up at stamps.com with code program for a special offer that's stamps.com code program Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.